here. Excuse I me, I know that all sounds great, but the fact is that David has to go on living, and he can't do that in an institution. So until you can tell me something that makes one ounce of sense, then we're all going home, and that's all there is to it. Welcome to the Rewind Movie Podcast. Well, I'm sorry you don't want to know the truth. What? The truth about where David's been for the last eight years. Why he can't remember. What all this unusual brain activity means. And most of all, why he hasn't aged. The following review will contain spoilers and may contain strong language. I think there's been some sort of mistake. I do not make mistakes. Awaken final vectors. Vectors? I don't have any vectors. I'm just a kid. That is obvious. But your brain has been programmed with all appropriate star charts. You mean that's why my brain has been coming up with all that stuff? Yes. You are the navigator. Today, as part of our throwback series, we'll be discussing Flight of the Navigator, starring Jerry Kramer. You've got guns. Protective hover is advised. Will that shut the door? Affirmative. Okay, let's do that. But if anybody asks, you're the one that did it, okay? Compliant. Paul Mole. I can move at any speed. I can speak thousands of languages. I can analyze species from civilizations light years beyond yeah, your own. I can... can you fix this seat? I'm fine. That's great. Now, can you slow down a little? I'm fine. Cool. And Sarah Jessica Parker. Been gone for eight years. Gone where? Outer space? Could be. You know something? You're a weird kid. Directed by Randall Kleiser. Okay, if I can't go back in time, at least take me back to my family. Come aboard quickly, navigator. Not until you promise to take me home. Very well. You can need a star chart, and I'll take you home. Hello, and welcome to the Rewind Movie Podcast. It's the compliant podcaster, Patrick, in London. That was a top five hello, by the way. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I couldn't let that pass without comment. Uh, rice Roni, the San Francisco treat. It's Devlin in London. If you want to watch TV, this is a remote control wand. It's Matt <laughs> in South Korea. Oh, welcome back, listeners, and welcome back, gang. However, you'll have noticed we're missing a member today. Gally has been abducted, and we hope to see him eight years from now. <laughs> um, <laughs> hopefully he hasn't aged in that time, not aged a day, and comes back as the Galligator. Gator. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I hope in eight years they don't do me dirty with my aging up makeup like they did to poor Veronica Cartwright. <laughs> oh, God. He looks like a first shot of the is particularly um, yeah. like striking. He looks like he's gone, the children of the corn talcum powder has been used on his <laughs> True. And they, they lunge at him like zombies, don't they, out of that doorway. It's horrible. Very disturbing. Oh, wow. We're getting straight into it, aren't we? Yeah. yeah um, well. <laughs> well, today, yes, talking flight of the navigator. It wasn't um, exactly scheduled from us, but we're tentatively touting this as a nostalgic throwback for mm. Matt and myself, and a vibes <laughs> throwback <laughs> for Devlin. I'm, I'm labeling this one vibes. <laughs> mm. Much like um, Children of the Corners, a vibes pick. Is that? Like, I don't know. 
Yeah, more I, mean, bastards, I, know, I, think. Yeah. I suddenly feel like talking about this, so why not? Good, good. Mm. And well, let's transport ourselves back to 1986. Um, have you been feeling particularly <laughs> nostalgic, Matt? Actually, was it? It was more of a joint pick between you and I, wasn't it? Really, and Dudley just came aboard the good ship. I have a list of stuff over on Letterboxd that I always screen grab and send into the chat, and we kind of, you know, pick the one that we like the most. And this was the one that that leapt out. Um, we just mentioned before recording that it has a July fourth. We're talking about vibes. Yeah. It has a bit of a July fourth yeah. vibe. So we're just a bit late releasing, but you know, yeah. Happy birthday, America! Maybe we can transport <laughs> the podcast recording back in time to. Uh, no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but when so, I saw your little list of, I say little, Matt's got plenty on his list here, but mm. that that was the one that I don't know stood out for me. I was like, yes, that one. I'd love to talk about this film because it's been so long. But, yeah. Deb, had you had you seen it before? What's your history with this film? Yeah, no, I'd uh, I'd, I'd seen this quite a lot as a kid. This is um, uh, I remember this being a pretty perennial TV like broadcast television watch throughout probably most of the nineties. I don't know if you guys had the same experience. It just felt like you would stumble across this film quite a lot. It was uh, it was in pretty heavy rotation. I do feel like it's maybe dropped out of that now, but maybe that's just. That's just the modern world we live in that I don't understand anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's it's no longer like a sort of slightly wet bank holiday weekend perennial. And that's a shame because uh, I've been away for so long, I wouldn't know if it was still on telly or not. But it's disappeared, has it? I I haven't watched it in years. How about but, Disney yeah. Channel and stuff like that? Do you not find it on it's there? Not, every now and then? It's not on Disney Plus. No, oh no. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's an interesting one. Did it, had you watched this quite a lot, Patrick, back in the day? I did. Yeah, this was. Um, mm. I remember having it on VHS, which was a taped from the TV thing, mm-hmm. and I remember watching it a lot. Which is quite. We'll come to it, but it's quite interesting how much I remember watching it when I was a kid, and watching it this week, how much I misremembered of the film, mm. um, particularly the amount of time it took to get into the ship. Yeah. For some reason, I right. always yeah, remembered yeah. it as a film that was mainly in the ship for ages. What is and it, the final 20 minutes, final half hour kind of thing? Actually, it's the exact midpoint. 45 minutes in, we get in, uh, and then we've got 45 minutes left. But I was kind of like, oh, wow, okay, this is a real build-up, and we'll get into that in plots kind of structure and directing from hmm. um, director, uh elements to it but yeah i used to watch this all the time and will there's a theme in the film that we'll talk about with brothers and mm-hmm. my bro i spoke to my brother this week i was like do you remember this film he's like yeah i remember the ship and i remember the creatures and the animatronics and it was all really cool so cool so he remembered it as well but i don't think i've watched this for i don't know like 20 plus years to be honest and whether that goes back to like I'm not familiar with it being on TV. No one talks about it anymore. Where did it go? I, I don't know. Like, when was the last time you watched it, man? Well, I, the last time I watched it was probably a couple of years ago, but this was a really big one for me growing up. I've probably seen it about 30 times, and I'm not exaggerating. <laughs> and it, it was on telly an awful lot, as Devlin said, but I had it taped just like you, Patrick. Um, I didn't have the official or anything. It was all taped from no. telly. Yeah, the um, same. And, but I didn't buy it un, until I got, I got it on DVD around somewhere in the 2010s where I started collecting everything from my childhood and 
putting it all on a shelf for some mysterious reason. You know, when you get old, you do things like that. But um, I remember this one in the short circuit films in firm rotation, which is a bit of a weird connection there. You mentioned some of the uh, mm. the, the, the puppets and the creatures. It was the, the same duo of chaps yeah. that, that um, voiced and puppeted them as the two oh, that did Johnny cool. Five. They've got um, great CVs. We'll, like, yeah. We've run through them. It's fucking brilliant. Yeah. Um, it was, again, on firm rotation with a lot of other 80s staples. Uh, I forgot it had uh, Sarah Jessica Parker in it, who, you know, I never found that attractive. But here, I, you know, I thought she was quite nice. Oh, sorry, uh, Lord, you, you've seen Hocus Pocus, right? <laughs> she's a bit witchy. Do you not think she's a bit witchy? No, I think she's very oh, no, attractive. She's, yeah. yeah, she's really Okay, I'll have to watch that one again. But uh, <laughs> it also has Commandant Lassard's brother from Police Academy 2 in it, um, Howard yeah. Hesseman. Yeah. Uh, a friend of the show from Rob Zombie's Halloween 2. He's in that uh, in that shop, uh, the guy that runs the shop. And uh, I think... Is that a connection you made when you were younger, when you were watching it? Uh, to um, Police Academy, perhaps, yeah. Uh, I think a lot of people around... For a lot of people around the world, it's still a Disney Channel favorite, as far as I can tell. And for people close to our age who grew up in the UK, it's like a, a TV constant. Um, I, I think certain elements of it were always embedded in my mind. So when I revisited it, it was really quite fun. I don't want to say too much too early, but the Beach Boys I Get Around bit is always in the back of my mind forever. Uh, all the Ralph stuff I remember very clearly. Um, yeah, but. Uh, this one was a, quite a big one for me, and it was on that list of rewind possibilities for a long time. So I'm I'm happy we're finally tackling it. And do, are you familiar then with how the film? Any background to how the film is made, or the director at all, and and his work? Um, that's Randall Kleiser because his his um his career is quite fascinating. I was reading up on it, and he's a uber smart guy and a real like pioneer of you know, modern cinema and technique and modern filmmaking. Yeah, well, if we we can start with Kleiser. He was uh, the guy that went on to direct Pee Wee Herman's sequel, Big Top Pee Wee. There's a bit of a connection here. You you led in with uh, Paul Maul as starring mm. in the film, but most people will know him as Paul Rubens, who played Pee Wee Herman. Uh, I think Pee Wee's Big Adventure was already out at this time, and Pee Wee's Playhouse was just starting up on tally so paul rubens was taking off and i think the the pseudonym was used to uh because he was a basically a voice actor here we never see him so i think he wanted to try and uh, differentiate from what he was doing with peewee uh, as far as i know it was his decision to be credited as as paul mall right um but kleiser yeah he, he made greece which i'd resisted seeing until i was in my 30s when i was hired to do a, a, a kids film a kids production of greece and I had to sort of know what the story was, so I finally put it in and and, and watched it. And uh, so that's, that was interesting because all the girls at school love Grease and Dirty Dancing, but I never mm-hmm. never watched them. Um, Out of those two, though, Grease was always my favourite. You liked it more, yeah, yeah. Uh, he did White Fang, which we had on video in our house. I think my sister probably had that one. Uh, Honey, I blew up the kid was another uh, yeah. childhood one. I, I liked the first one obviously more, but. Um, Honey, I shrunk the audience, the 3D. Ah, oh, really yeah. fascinating. Yeah, um, I remember that. Uh, theme park thing that was very yeah. popular at the time. I didn't realize he did uh, the Blue Lagoon. Yeah. The extraordinarily controversial. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Which again, I didn't see until I was far too old to see it. It was right. always on like the trailers, always on the lead-ins to all these VHS tapes, you know, in in the mid mid to late eighties. And yeah. Uh, yeah, but it's a bit creepy now. On on uh, they're both on Netflix. They're a bit <laughs> it's a bit sleazy. It looks like an excuse to get um to get youngsters in the nude to me. But there you go. Never mind. He, he was um George Lucas's college roommate. Then. Oh wow! Yeah, he was okay, at yeah. USC with uh, John Carpenter at the same time. And he had a very, very lauded, um, yep. a, a very um, celebrated uh, graduation film that kind of led him into, you know, being a professional filmmaker. But he, he does endless kind of educational things on for young filmmakers and for visual effects right. and pioneering all of that. And it, it's no surprise that it led him to Flight of the Navigator, which was a, quite a groundbreaking film for the time in terms right, of visual yeah. effects and. Yeah. Um, digital morphing and CGI. It's an early example of that. Even the music. Um, mm. Oh, yeah. Sylvester is uh, one of the first all digital like electro scores in film. I've, I've got a bit of history on the, like where the film came from, if you're interested. Yes, please. Made for nine million bucks and it made back $80 million, um, but mostly on VHS and syndication television. The theatrical release wasn't. Um, enormous i don't think it was actually released the same day as howard the duck which was a notorious bomb <laughs> of the era um i thought about where disney was at the point because it, it's thought of as a disney film but it's a kind of a complex story where disney acquired it from uh, another company uh, a norwegian company that went bankrupt and disney took it over right. and actually um but they they really only put their the name on it for the uh, foreign releases as far as i can interesting because i i when we were when i was watching it i i noticed that um because you know it starts with the proper disney cast oh first nostalgia uh, re-watching it was that music the, yeah oh yeah. it's lovely but then um uh after that it, it, it starts kind of um putting up a bunch of weird production one is called the producers sales organization picture yeah. and as that and it sounds like <laughs> That sounds like a shady tax corporate. Yeah. Dog Frisbee play. dog. That doesn't, that doesn't sound dog. like a real thing. But... Frisbee dog. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that was peculiar. It's called Viking Films in Norway. And one of the one of the stipulations was that they had to film a lot of it in Norway. So they ah, had to actually okay. go there because it was funded by them. They had to, and they shot a lot of the spaceship interiors there. So every time you see David from behind when he's looking out of the screen, uh, that's actually the Norwegian kid that they were trying to communicate with, and uh, but <laughs> nobody knew left and right, and uh, it was really someone on the documentaries. It was really hard to film, um, and then presumably some of the stuff where it's um, flying across the landscapes and things. Mm. I think a lot of that is probably Norway, too. Mm. Um, so yeah, those uh, that, those cows don't look like they would be in Central <laughs> Florida, <laughs> twenty um, miles from NASA. Yeah. They'd be alligators so, eating them. Uh, the film was originally called Vanished, and the idea came to the writer Mark H. Baker in a dream. And uh, in the original story, it was much, much darker. They had to sort of make a, a decision between a kid's film and an adventure film. Kleiser was keen on going adventure, but um, uh, the funding dictated that it should be more of a, a kid-friendly film. I think that's why there's a lot of darkness and Kind of, I've I've written the word ominous about a hundred times in my notes, but um, I don't know if you thought the same. But I thought that there's a kind of an underlying darkness. 
certainly. Yeah. But we have the theme of you know, there's the frisbee, the um, the Hindenburg, the blimp thing. Oh, How about yeah? <laughs> that's the worst that's part the of the I was thinking Excuse about me. where the shadow kind of it's like goes the over them. Still, the day everyone the answer, freezes. It's, yeah. Yeah, but then also the water tank when he comes mm. through the wood is quite an ominous beat and the music all compounds that. Right. Uh, but yeah. then that ominous stuff goes from the environment. Oh, we're, we're skipping ahead here a little bit. But for me, and it, the, that, uh, the tone shifts to the humans being the ominous tone with the doctors at NASA. Yeah. Did is, you get some nice shit? Talking about vibes. Did you get some ET vibes with the, uh, yeah that it's like they're gonna they're gonna cut him up they're gonna do an autopsy on him but it so the howard hesseman character is uh i, I liked him more than the chap in et but i still didn't trust him fully um <laughs> i was going to mention there that in the original story they they build the spaceship from david's memory so there's a lot more of that stuff where he's kind of been kidnapped and oh, wow. uh, he's not allowed uh, okay. to go home and the, the ship is constructed when they download his his memories, all that. So, yeah, they, they it's altered good, it's a lot a good of it. premise. I like their premise very much. Yeah, me too. Um, for all this. Well, before we get into the nuts and bolts of The Good Ship and The Navigator, should we um, remind ourselves and the listeners about the plot for Flight of the Navigator? Is it a bird? Is it a plane? No, it's a frisbee soaring through the air during the South Florida Frisbee Dog Championship, July 4th. 1978. Twelve-year-old David watches on impressed as he cannot get his dog Bruiser to emulate and bows to train him hard. A blimp casts a shadow over David and his family, Dad, Bill, Mum, Helen, and typical wind-up younger brother Jeff, who calls him all sorts of names. That night, Helen asks David to pick up Jeff on his journey home through the woods to get ready for dinner and fireworks. Jeff jumps out to scare David, which leads him to fall into a ditch and lose consciousness. When he comes to and makes his way home to exact revenge on his brother, something's wrong. Different people live in his house. Where's his family? The police pick him up and discover he matches a missing persons case from eight years ago. David has woken up in 1986. Meanwhile... A strange spacecraft has crashed through some power lines and is floating there before NASA take it away. David is in the hospital for tests, reunited with his family who cannot believe David's back and hasn't aged today. It's so shocking for him to see his parents look so much older and his daughter brother 16 years old now, unrecognisable. Whereas it's only been minutes for David. What's going on? It's like a bad dream. The doctors do some tests and David's brainwaves draw out a blueprint of a strange spacecraft. And here's someone calling him in his sleep. NASA Dr. Faraday is leading the investigation of the impregnable spacecraft and learns of David's tests. They're surely linked. Faraday persuades David's family and David to come to NASA facility for 48 hours to help understand where David has been all these years and learns that David's mind is full of information including star maps to a planet called Phalon, some 560 light years away. Maybe that's where David went and obscured time, having travelled faster than light. But Faraday breaks his promise, despite all the goodies he's given to David, and David grows frustrated and anxious. He befriends cool NASA employee Carolyn, who brings him food and is nice to him, and she helps him escape to the spacecraft. 
David is connected to the ship who's calling for help, and he can't work out why, but this connection allows him to board the vessel. And despite NASA security catching up to him and chasing, he meets robotic commander Trimaxian drone ship, who is very compliant and follows David's instructions to set him 20 miles away. They travel up into space in a split second. Whoa, what's going on? The spaceship can mold itself to suit its travel and status, and its shiny interior intricately moves around David, making him more comfortable, while he is the navigator after all. David calls the commander Max as a nickname and learns that Max needs the map stored inside his inferior brain after Phelan scientists experimented on him to test the brain capacity of humans. Because Max, he's lost his route home during the crash. Max mind transfers with David and learns to laugh, pop culture, and a new relaxed, eccentric vernacular. Human emotions and Max and David learn to communicate better with each other and have a bit of fun. He asks Max to take him back to 1978, despite warning time travel could vaporize him. He's sorry, but he just doesn't belong here. Will David make it back to 1978 and help Max get home? Will Putmaran sneak into David's backpack to be with his new friend? Well, see you later, navigator. There you That's go. Bad. It's usually Gally that says, well, oh, yeah, very good. Yeah, <laughs> I was waiting yeah, for that. Deep. <laughs> I want to um, see it again. That's usually what Gally says. <laughs> <laughs> Let's rewind it. Yeah, very yeah, good. It, it's actually... Um, I really like, I said it earlier, I really like the premise and I don't know mm. the original story, Matt, but the film, yeah, there's a kind of a lot goes on and we mentioned it before. I was amazed this time around to not get in the ship till the halfway point of the film. Yeah. There's mm. a lot of discovery and the ominous tone and what's going on at the beginning. Well, it's it's a golden um, ratio. Jaws was the same, wasn't it? Right yeah. down the middle. They don't board the orca and head out until halfway, but you don't realize it, do you? It feels like the end of the film, and it does here as well. Uh, so, like, timing the, the, the film out, I also noticed that it takes 10 minutes from David deciding to get into Ralph to when mm-hmm. the ship actually takes off, which means that like really? ten full minutes of him just kind of crossing and and uh, 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 like reestablishing his connection with with the ship. Who we don't, he's not called it Max yet, but I like that um, stuff because the, the Silvestri music there is kind of yeah. weird. There's a thing already because it's Young Guns Two. It's the exact same theme from Young Guns Two. Right, which okay. Really, and uh, <laughs> and he's just tweaked it a, a bit for Young Guns, which was 1990, I think. Yeah. And here it's got more of like a when will I be famous kind of <laughs> it's, um, yeah. brass vibe. But um, it's I, a nice um, little three note um, repeating, isn't it? It's like a, a three notes and it ends on like a minor. So it's like, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's very of, memorable, it's very poppy. Uh, but also yeah. I think that that bit takes so long is because the, there's a lot of mystique as far as when you see the ship. I think Kleiser does a great job yeah, of, yeah, yeah. of masking that. You're looking at it through through gates and uh, wire fences and it's covered with a sheet of plastic. I'm sure the, the Independence Day lot had a mm. good look at that scene before they... Uh, yeah. That they did the airship. It has it has that kind of like ominous monolith feel to it as well because it's just so kind of large and immovable. But then when they push, when the uh, 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 the security guard uh, who's discovered it just pushes it, and you just see it drift. Right, away. It's kind oh, of, that's yeah. a really it's, nice effect, isn't it? And you get the stairs as well. Very memorable. Yeah. Um, the uh, the T two stairs, which the effect later is much nicer, where they're outside the the gator place, uh, like. 
um, where he makes the phone call, as Patrick told us in story time, um, where the, the steps become solid. And as far as I can tell, it's some kind of digital wire removal. I, I don't know whether it was on the angle of the, the shot because that, and it's a great, it's like a magician's trick, isn't it? Showing uh, David stepping on it and those kids at the gas station pushing on it. Yeah. It's a wonderful. That sells uh, it, the pushing, doesn't it? Completely. Yeah. yeah. It's possibly just that it's dug in at the exact angle yeah. that, you know, yeah. the camera's kind of covering where it's, right. where it's very clever. attached. Yeah. Yeah. But um, from the, the, the very start, like so much of the, the beginning of this film, I'd completely forgotten. Yeah, completely. me too. And uh, those like, like you were saying, those 1950s sci-fi throwbacks of the literal, the saucers kind of flying across with mm-hmm. the synths and the the incredible, like, uh, the awe-stricken the awe crowd looking up at the blimp. Like, that yeah. had a real, um, does that feel like something that was that was floating around at the time? Like, uh, it, it felt like maybe there was a... <laughs> literally. A, 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 a nostalgia for the kind of the, the classic, 50s sci-fi well oh. look where we are when the film's made in the mid 80s and we, we are peppered with sci-fi aren't we and mm-hmm. discovery and adventure within space and spaceships and aliens and all of that and i was thinking about this is this you know how right now we are 30 to 40 years after the 80s God, mm-hmm. bloody hell. um don't remind us <laughs> But we're getting an influx of filmmakers, TV makers, Stranger Things, all, all of this that is nostalgic to that time. Yeah. And then in the mid eighties, like Back to the Future, where did they hark back from for the nostalgia? The fifties. Mm, yeah. So it, it feels like that, that that's a motif with kids who grew up from born at that time that they mm. that was their time and they look back in nostalgia and we're the same now and we're getting the exact kind of same um uh repeated theme of 30 years mm. ago that's that's the um uh ala mode right now for, for, that, yeah. that would fit uh, kleiser's age wouldn't it kleiser would yeah with all yeah. that stuff well i mean if he's uh uh you mentioned he'd watched the, the moon landing and all yeah. of this and... well he was a contemporary of of lucas and uh mm-hmm. and carpenter and carpenter was obviously hugely influenced by you know the thing and uh, uh mm. lucas when he came to create the crystal skull he went back to 50s sci-fi mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. um uh joe dante i guess you've got stuff like um matinee was like quite a uh um, an obvious kind of I and, just, and the uh, most uh, important uh, one explorers there which was 85 yeah um which you know kids in a spaceship yeah it's it's very yeah. very similar and i think some people even um put the boot in on navigator because it was the year after and it was so similar in in theme and uh visuals and you know kid the child actors i forget who's in explorers i think it's river phoenix ethan hall phoenix and, yeah. yeah but but isn't it interesting that that's not the i'd say flight of the navigator is more well known than explorers to me certainly explorers slipped through the net completely it wasn't a gremlins by any means was it yeah that's not but and, and then look at the other films in the 80s well, i suppose that's maybe not this, the, back, back to the future has a little bit of time travel you know in this uh the year before Definitely. uh around the time i can't remember the exact year but a bit later maybe batteries not included another kind yes. of thing yeah. but even things like goonies and labyrinth and tron uh cloak and dagger and daryl they're all like the majority of these films at the time were kids and adventures and yeah and they all had 
we talked about the ominous tone of this film. I always find the 80s had an edge, mm. more so than now, this darker mm. edge of peril or, or an ominous kind of, I don't know, end of the world feeling that mm. nothing's ever going to be the same again for them. There's like a genuine sense of loss, like a real, yeah, loss. like the, it, it's, um, it feels like maybe ET would have been a big touchstone for yeah. what you can kind of get away, not get away with, but, um, <laughs> how seeing, hard you can push a child audience, seeing just how big an audience that film got mm. and how you can see that, like, um, uh, Elliot's put through the ringer, like properly, like, yeah. you know. They kill him off when he's dead in that ditch. That's horrible. When he's he's turned all white and yeah, and and he gets to uh, he gets to kind of revel in his resurrection, only to have him taken away for good this time. Which is you know a similar ending here, which is like the adventure is definitively over, and it's like it's a you've you know you've gained experience, you've you've gained this kind of self uh, reliance, but at the at the loss of. Innocent. A couple of ties to Terminator 2. We mentioned some of the, mm. the effects, but I, I having done T2 fairly recently on the show, I was thinking a little bit more about it. And it's this idea of making friends with, with this um, alien thing that then has to leave. Um, mm. You know, the, there's yeah. a lot of, a lot of those, and, that, and that's ET as well, but that, that's the classic, isn't it? Of, of, you know, making friends and then having to say, ultimately say goodbye at the end of the film. And I was wondering, you know, like ET's kind of a, christ analogy of resurrection and and atonement and teachings is there do you think there's deeper meaning in flight of the navigator i try and i couldn't decide matt if i was looking for things in the film or if they're actually there Mm. because i don't think they're quite so obvious apart from we're still in cold war time uh, then and you know foreign object in the sky and the Mm threat to security or ominous blimp shadow and you know people looking up as we've mentioned several times and mm-hmm. that kind of uh anxious feeling amongst americans at the time that with their flying saucer yeah. and what's inside it you um, know they they said oh my god it's an alien when it's david and they look at him is is a nasa being um that you know like the scientists in et who are kind of untrustworthy and they've got their own motives that are for gain rather than human safety. Excuse me. There's a lot of stuff with uh, the ship that I think was in w- was perhaps unintentional that can be read into, as you said, the the time, the uh, you know, the Soviet stuff and the eighties. That's what we always go to. If it's not AIDS, it's the, uh, it's the Soviet <laughs> Union. Yeah. But um, what what I think they did build in is the the family stuff and the the layers yeah. to, to David and his family. I, I and that's all I could really detect for sure. But I think you know the, the, we've talked a lot about post structuralism. You can read a hell of a lot into it ba- mm. based on you know the context of when it was made and things like that. But I really look at the David stuff and the family stuff in a, in a deeper context. I think. Hi, hi, Louis Faraday, NASA. Sure, it was a pretty piece of space there. Was flying along, then it just smacked right into the tower and dragged it about a hundred yards. Then it stopped and it's floating here. Say, uh, I don't suppose you gentlemen could tell me how you do that. No, Mr. Brayton, it's a matter of national security. Any idea how we're gonna move it? You kidding? Watch this. Uh, no. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I don't know how much of that is beyond the kind of like tenor of the time stuff, because I don't think they lean too hard into a great deal of paranoia. There's no point at which anyone says like when the when the ship is downed in the power lines, it's not like they say there's not a, a an assumption that nobody says the word Soviet. Nobody. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I possibly that's that's maybe just a trying to keep the thing a little more timeless and a little lighter and very streamlined as well because it's, it is it's a disney film yeah not to say that they wouldn't you know lean into that kind of stuff mm-hmm. all it takes is a line like the war of the worlds line where it's like uh where, where did it come from from europe yeah no robbie yeah. not from <laughs> europe you know all that yeah. all the crew stuff but the, I, I wanted to go back to the the dog and the frisbee like because i thought when you wish upon a star and the castle and the disney stuff i think Kleiser does something really clever because he goes straight into a really ominous moment mm. with the, yeah. the, the frisbee we're not we're not sure if it's a frisbee or, or what at that point we think it's some kind of ufo and particularly when i was a kid i immediately because you, you know what you're watching kind of you've probably seen a trailer for it or an advert for it or something you, you're mm. kind of aware of what you're looking at um yeah so i, I like that immediate um uh, change in tone and that kind of in, an injection of something slightly ominous after the Disney castle, because I think you need to know that you're not mm. watching a film about dogs and Frisbees. You need mm. to sort of ha- have a slightly darker edge to it. And as we mentioned, the the blimp and Patrick, you mentioned the water tower and all that stuff in the misty forest. It's all uh, mm. a darker fairy tale. After that. A really literal, like crossing the tracks. There's a great day for night shot as well. Yeah. Yeah. That kind of, uh, yeah. Um, uh, and it is, it is cool that like they, the music, even when you realize that it is dogs catching frisbees, and of course everyone loves seeing dogs jump around in slow motion, it's brilliant. That score isn't exactly <laughs> triumphant. It's still got like a weird kind of minor key kind of ominous note of dread to it. Yeah, uh, that that was the first nostalgia hit, wasn't it, Patrick? I think mm. you said in the chat that was the that was the moment. The music yeah. and the dogs. Uh, well, yeah. I, actually, you know what? If I'm going to be, I, I mentioned earlier the the Walt Disney um, animation. Uh, yeah. logo that came up that was my first nostalgia hit and then mm. yeah with the dogs because it just made me remember what the film like how it started i i did forget kind of i don't know i just always felt i remembered the film being in the ship a lot longer and earlier mm. so when he was in the woods i thought oh he'll find the ship and he'll get in it now and that's where we're going and then bang a bit of galley's whiplash i was like wow and if you look very closely when david falls down his eyes are closed and there's a little jump cut yes. and his eyes open mm. and that's the eight years going and it's very yeah. subtle. Uh, if you I'd see never it. seen it before and I didn't, it, like a, a dummy, I didn't even connect at the jump. I thought it was perhaps a mistake, but uh, yeah, was, that, yeah, the jump cut signifies the, the, the time leap, doesn't it? Yeah. And I, I, this is where I, um, just to get back to um, our director, I really like some of the, the setup here because like, Kaiser's, uh, he shoots their house, their family home, and it's a lovely house. Look through the mm. window, you see the architecture, and we understand something that we like on this podcast is their kind of sense of place and geography. So when David comes back to that house eight years later, and we see the same setups and shots, mm. we know that room by room has clearly changed, and it's nighttime. Yeah. And it's, yeah. um, it's just There's a, an old a man in a, in a um, <laughs> What's dressing up, gown. <laughs> he's, very, he's very casual. Um, yeah. Yeah. What's up, son? Everything okay? Um, <laughs> he says it very calmly as well. I'm going to call yeah. the cops. <laughs> 
it's but, such like a, an incredible like that is a real nightmare though because it's, God, like, yeah. it's it's like that uncanny you know it's like everything's the same but everything's different mm. everything's wrong but it's not they don't overplay it but that uh, uh the use of the the fact that he collapses on the staircase means that you get to do this incredible like wide sort of hitchcocky shot you know mm-hmm. looking down and looking up and it's like you're really playing with the uh the space and making you know this kind of family home look kind of it, ominous and eerie. it's marty mcfly again isn't it it's the same yeah small valley. yeah exactly yeah it's, it's the guy coming out with the baseball bat get the hell out of here <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um although not so aggressive this time because we are disney yeah. film is he the universal certificate yeah but, but you're right dev it's like it's the some woman is at the door that you don't know you're expecting your mum, and it's just some woman is there and it's your house yeah. but it's decorated differently yeah this was all gone like i hadn't remembered this well it's, this it's is, horror i think you mentioned yeah. it offline matt and then when he sees his dad and we have that close-up of him looking older older makeup uh cor- children of the corn talcum powder hair um that oh, is man. quite a scary <laughs> it's quite a scary it, you, if you put yourself you know it, i think it's done quite effectively to in david's mindset and pov like this is terrifying for a child mm-hmm. yeah i've, I've written ho- horror tropes and i've noted a couple of things down because there's just so many it's like this is almost dark sci-fi in in parts, and not just the guy called Larry in a dressing gown in your bedroom. That's you know that's scary, but <laughs> it gets worse. It's like he's been legally declared dead. He's yeah, he's God. only twelve. Um, it, he's, he's there's the missing persons report. He, he fits the description of the guy and, and of, of the missing kid, and his clothing is all the same, but he hasn't aged a day, which is another ominous, weird thing it's just a very eerie premise and and concept mm. and then there's like tr- traumatizing stuff you're in the back of a cop car and then you, you take yeah. into a residence where your parents have aged to like a disturbing degree but you've stayed the same and they th- when they see you they lunge at you like yeah talc zombies and they sort of <laughs> loom, loom over you as these decrepit and like the the only two people that you want to see in that moment are not your mom and dad yeah, the mm. mum and dad, but they are, and it is his mum and dad, but it's not the same. It's too, it's been skewed yeah. into but, this different reality. And I like the way it's shot when he sees family members. The dad at the doorway mm. is silhouetted and it's yeah. obscured and it's interesting. And then when the brother comes to the hospital room, the way he's shot in the doorway is really yeah. nice and effective, silhouetted. But it's eerie. It, it's disturbing. It's the spotlights are picking out in his glasses, which yeah. is unreal. Like that's some invasion of the body snatchers type. That's shit. lovely. Like, yeah, you know. Um, I always remember the brother, the, the costume and the, the, the glasses and the rolled up sleeves. And he, he's a very memorable character, particularly when he's yeah on, on the roof setting off the fireworks. Uh, I always remembered the, that scene in, in vivid detail. But yeah, he's very 1950s, isn't he? That is, that's 50s coded. Yeah, the big yeah. shirt with the the big glasses. It's Yeah, yeah I'm surprised he didn't have cigarettes rolled up in his sleeve. <laughs> or and he has a quiff as well. You know, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a slick, cool guy. I wonder if it's the director putting himself in, in the film, you know, how his image. So... On to a, just a little uh, piece for this podcast is, I have a brother. <laughs> what? Well, I, I have a sister, even though I wrote that um, little heading, but I know that the two of you have brothers and I, I was trying to read into this one because there's a lot of, uh, there's an antagonistic nature between him and his brother, obviously. And mm. uh, the film wraps itself up kind of uh, emotionally 
in the boat on the you know fourth of july with the fireworks with him and his brother my sister's seven years younger than me and we very rarely fight about anything i don't think we've ever fought at all physically or otherwise i'd probably win if we did but uh <laughs> I, I, I wondered if uh, you had a if similar she is, <laughs> it's possible she may take that as a challenge she's about to go to training big time <laughs> it's a steel cage match um <laughs> so I, I wondered about your relationships with your brothers and did it did it make you uh, consider those relationships and was it a realistic depiction and did it help uh the the emotional arc of the movie at all for the for either of you i definitely didn't feel anything about it or make that connection when i was younger but of course we're older uh, uglier and smarter now uh, and we've learned a bit more and yeah i yeah i do um my brother and i my my relationship with my brother wasn't always the best at all we always used to fight and bicker five years difference and he's um, younger he's younger yeah i'm the older one and you know like going to school and being the older kid and him and having your mates around and just kind of ignored him a little bit which was pretty shitty but we've since rekindled um we're like best mates now which is great and uh yeah i get i i feel it you know because it's I, I love watching films with my brother now and things that we really bond over like taken which i mm -hmm. mentioned in a prior episode and i texted him about this and he was like yeah i remember that and now i really want to watch it with him and i get the kind of brother thing personally i i think dan would um jump on the roof and set off fireworks for me no questions asked because i think that's where we are now <laughs> and i'd do the same for him and i think um People could definitely get that in there. Um, well, but from a brother side of things, cause I think it's so important, um, that friendship at a young age as well. And it does, it's nice to see the bickering between them. And, you know, like David kind of bickers with Max in the film and they have that little argument when they go off piste and then they rekindle that there's a similarity between those relationships. Oh, Patrick, there's the a bit film. of trivia there. The, uh, Kleiser actually got the older version of his brother. I forget his brother's name um jeff jeff uh got jeff to record the uh some of the <laughs> what matt adler the, the, yes. the announcement of jeff just made me think of uh uh jeff show. by wings yeah jeff he was actually asked to record a lot of the stuff that max says because they were trying to figure out a way to humanize max and ah, having be a voice cool. that was of recognition to david and a voice that he would i imagine trust um right okay. but um they ended up going with a obviously the big star uh paul rubens but yeah that's interesting that you should say that because i think that was perhaps in the back of their minds i i that, i certainly read it that way this time around for sure you can see the the um the mirrored relationships which is quite well done i think um mm. and that helps him grow and you can you just know that will fix his relationship but if he goes back in time to 78 and spoiler when we get there and they have the little moment between the backpack you can already feel that they are that something's changed and it's it's you know a film of adolescent growing up and taking responsibility and being that big brother i see all of that in this film for sure with the mum and dad that's the the safety and security more than anything i yeah. thought but mm. dev you've got a brother as well um let's Dude. see here your i have a brother line reading i have a brother <laughs> have, uh, <laughs> my, my brother is also called dan he's two years older 
Um, so we're quite close in age yeah. and we grew up like, um, we, yeah, fought and bickered. And of course we, uh, came of age during the sort of the late flush of the WrestleMania era. So, uh, <laughs> I was, I was small and, uh, for my age was I'm always yeah i'm, a, I'm a, just a little guy just a <laughs> little so guy. rude i'm, I'm just a little guy it's my birthday but perfectly no, formed me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i don't care what you've heard on the internet um so i was like uh so there was a lot of like chokes like well maybe not so much chokes, I mean. <laughs> here. maybe just a body, like, body uh, slam it's an easy there was one, a lot of like uh running power slams a lot of like okay. british bulldog gear running power slams and we uh, used to have sword fights and i'd always win <laughs> Uh, we, we, we started a league, which was, um, pillow boxing, which is where you literally just grab like, um, the little, the little pillows from the sofa, the little like cushions, you just grab them in your hand and then you just punch each other in the head. The thing is we always had really cheap cushions. You know, the ones filled with that, like it's just cut up bits of foam. So a couple of swings later and it's pure knuckle and it would always end up in in, in genuine violence. But, um, we were like, we spent like all our time together because um my dad worked a lot so uh we just kind of well quite latchkey kids wasn't like deprived but we um we spent like most of our time just kind of hanging out in this little unit and um i think the uh the the kind of the the prodding because you know the little little jeff in this film is so (laughs) believably irritating it's brilliant how quickly they get across what a little squirt he is mm-hmm. and that that would be infuriating and uh <laughs> yeah it's it it was cool it was again it was something that i'd i'd missed on uh, uh that i hadn't really remembered from the film how much yeah, emphasis same. gets put on on that and uh um the the reversal like the way kind of older jeff has to basically kind of look after him you know in the in the in the hospital and you can right. see the concern and you can yeah. see like it's it's so obvious now, isn't it? It's yeah. amazing how you you altered mind perception and how you read mm. things is. But I, you know, I love that early line when he says, "You'll never see your ninth birthday, I promise." <laughs> which is a which is a crazy thing that you know siblings say to each other when they're young. They just threaten them with death and everything. But the strongest point to your to your um your observation, Matt, for me is Jeff has been training up the dog to catch frisbees in David's absence. And it's such a simple, like, I think Gally would have loved that, like, simple visual storytelling that tells mm-hmm. us everything we need to know about Jeff's. Yeah, Gally would have um, loved it. If he was still with us. <laughs> God bless his soul. Um, do you know what I mean? No, he, he loves that visual storytelling yeah. and it's just simple and it tells us everything we know, need to know about Jeff and his sense of responsibility and guilt and it's lovely there was one more like as much as he appears to loathe him he even says that his brother will love these creatures when he when he gets them Mm. and he'll never believe me when i tell him he's the first thing that comes to his mind when he's going through all these experiences and that all leads to that really important closing moment on the boat with the fireworks that beautiful family moment you know barbecues and i, I mean i'm i've only been to i've been to new york like twice but i don't really know anything about america and, and what it's like but it feels very american apple pie kind of family fireworks warm apple dogs. pie <laughs> don't ruin it but, uh, yeah that was, it was a beautiful moment that has now been 
tainted. God, sorry about that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh no. Yeah, um, bungled. That's fine. But it's <laughs> funny. We, we used to um, in recent reviews and a lot of films that we do is a nuclear family. So it's quite mm, refreshing yeah. to watch uh, rekindled actual family love. That's um, mm. the security and that love. And and the parents in, don't look like they're covered in talc anymore. They're 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 back to normal <laughs> yeah. and they're the way they're supposed to be. And all, all order is restored. <laughs> Um, and the recurring performance from Lambert from Alien as well. Yeah, I, I'm not usually a huge fan. I think she overeggs things, and I know she's been in some great films, but um, she I, she tends to overdo it for me. She would be my go-to Ham Neal for sure, but not in this film. I think she really mm. plays that kind of watery-eyed mum who's... You don't like, like her hair as well in 86. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, for the film, it works fine because she. I think they do have to look slightly odd and sinister at that point yeah. where they're looming over him. Uh, it's a strange moment for the for David's character, but I, I think she's actually quite good in this. And uh, I also like her in The Birds, which is a weird tie-in because she's okay, she yeah. was a child actress. And uh, so to, to think about... Um, Joey Kramer and and all the the, the child mm. actor stuff that, that that links into Flight of the Navigator. Um, you can consider Veronica Cartwright and and the birds as well. Um, what's the what's the dad's name? The actor, Cliff the Young. Cliff the Young. So uh, the bomb. I, I immediately recognized Cliff the Young, and he felt yeah. very kind of like you know fatherly. And I was like, I know this guy, and it, it gives you like a. And then I was thinking, like, where the fuck do I know him from? He's a recurring Murder, She Wrote guy, and that's oh. where I know him from. <laughs> oh, Rucker it is then. But he's, I, uh, I, I think he's been a, a three-timer up at Cabot Cove in oh, three different characters. Three-timer. <laughs> but before I rewatched it, I, I thought perhaps it was the same guy that played the dad in Poltergeist, and then immediately I thought, that's not right. And then no, I sort of... Uh, Craig T. Nelson, right? Right. Uh, but there's yeah. kind of like a generic 80s Spielbergian father thing happening where they all sort of get, <laughs> get jumbled yeah. up, don't they? But, so, and then to complete the family then, and just to discuss a little bit of 80s uh, child actors and leading stars and Disney kids, Joey Kramer plays David. Well, you found Matt? There, there's an awful lot to discuss with this because I, I watched the documentary this morning. Um, bear with me, I've forgotten the title again. This is uh, Return to the Navigator, is it? Return to Wars. Uh, Revenge of the Navigator. Reve- <laughs> Navigator. Navigator 2, Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> no, it's, it's called Life After the Navigator. After. And it's part of a series, I think. They, they've revisited several actors. Um, right. Uh, following, um, you know, key roles and things uh here uh, it's joey kramer who plays david and he's pretty much an unknown to me um he was in uh, runaway with tom Selleck. that was one of his mm. earlier roles after doing a lot of commercials as child actors usually do he did a film called i man with quantum leap and color of night favorite scott Bakula. <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> <my favorite. laughs> and uh he was uh, actually a supporting artist in uh, The Neverending Story. Uh, anyone who knows that oh, film, there's a scene where that a kid's riding a big dog and he's flying down a um, <laughs> a New York. This wasn't like a druggy dream or anything, I don't think, but he was, he's fly, <laughs> flying down a, a, a New York City uh, street and a kid dives into some 
garbage, as the Americans would say. And that's Joey uh, Joey Kramer, who's an extra in that right. film. And he was battling... Uh, Charles Joaquin, Sunman. Yeah, he, he was battling Joaquin Phoenix and Chris O'Donnell for this role. Uh, and I saw Chris O'Donnell's oh. audition on the on that documentary. It was really dreadful. So I'm not surprised yeah. he, he got it. He was Did that get him the role in Batman and Robin? <laughs> <laughs> he was offered the uh, the Will Wheaton role uh, on Star Trek later on. Oh, but wow. um, uh, Kramer's um, Wikipedia sort of revealed that he'd been arrested by Canadian Mounties aged 42 trying to rob a bank. And as, as funny as that might sound, it's really, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not, of not really a laughing matter. Yeah. And he's <laughs> got the Kenta acting in the last three years and he's got more credits now on his IMDb okay. page. Yeah. He, is, he, 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 there's an awful lot of this film that relies on just him and the relationship with Max. It's just like a two hander at, at some yes. point. And I, it, is he good enough for, for that? Does he hold your attention? I think he personally, I think he has a a nice innocence about his face and some of his tone. The, the and, look, I think, is perfect, and I, yeah. I think he and his changing hair length throughout the film. <laughs> well, he turns into a Norwegian boy at one point, and without us knowing, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> that's just the back of his hair. But uh, having seen some of the auditions, I I can completely see why they went with him. He's he's a, a charismatic youngster who, who wasn't afraid to sort of swing for the fences he's very emotive in his, mm. in his performances um but um and, and having seen the chris o'donnell one it was like that's exactly what you don't want it was total stage school stuff and uh, there was there's also kind of a naturalism to to kramer at times i i wonder if if he hadn't if, if his life hadn't been marred with you know addiction problems uh mental health problems he could have been an, an another um I don't want to say Joaquin Phoenix because you know you put this weird thing where Chris O'Donnell sort of went on to have a a, a mm -hmm. steady working career in film and television. Yeah. Joey Kramer unfortunately d disappeared into obscurity, and then Joaquin Phoenix is now one one of the greatest actors that ever lived by all you know many people's accounts, mm. but uh, or at least he will be by the time he he packs in, I'm sure. But so these three actors kind of represent kind of a forks in the road, don't they? It's it's kind of an odd one. Mm. But even for explorers that you mentioned before, you know, with Hawk yeah. and River Phoenix. I, I don't think he's anywhere near a River Phoenix. I mean, that's that's incredible talent. But they had very similar upbringings, like hippie parents and oh, yeah. um, all this stuff. Yeah. And and Joey Kramer's mum wasn't a stage school, you know, showbiz mum at all. He was just this Canadian lad who people remarked upon how he looked. And they say, oh, you should, you should get him into movies. You should get him into commercials. And you know, he, he was very good. He took to it. And um, I, I, having watched the documentary, it's quite a depressing watch at times, but he ultimately comes through. Um, and as of, I think, five years ago, he's off, off the methadone and he's back on, uh, you know, back on track. And hopefully he's getting back into doing some film work and TV work. That sounds like a tough gig, man, because I, I didn't know any of this. And uh, I, I guess there are a lot of sort of young performers who, you don't keep track of them just because several of them will just think that it's not for them after a certain amount of time. I'm thinking like Mara Wilson just kind of right. smartly decided that voluntarily she and yeah. wanted, wanted to do something completely different. Didn't want to chase that life. Had, you know, that what you want to do when you're six doesn't mean that you necessarily want to do the same thing when you're 44. So like it's, uh, uh, I thought as a child, like essential child performance where he's essentially 
in virtually every frame of the film almost like there's a couple of scenes without him but largely he's so central to it i thought he's he's good you know he's uh he's got a kind of aw shucks relatability without coming across as like an irritant so who did you murder to put here maximum security no one i'm a national security secret oh well in that case i shouldn't be talking to you at all Wait a sec. Um, uh, how come Starsky and Hutch isn't on? That show was canceled a long time ago. That was my favorite show. What's this stuff? You've never seen a music video before? Uh Uh-uh. But if you are interested, that documentary is very interesting, and there's a quite lovely reunion of all of the actors who are still with us. Most Most of them are, I think. And they all, uh, and Randall Kleiser and the, the effects guys, and they all have a bit of a reunion at the end. It's quite lovely to see, particularly if you're a fan of, of the film. And then, so a lot of Kramer's interaction comes with Max, as he affectionately calls him. As we said, Paul Mall. We call it Paul, not Paul, Paul Mal, right? Yeah, okay, fine. Paul, Paul, Paul Rubens. Paul Rubens. Um, which I, his voice work, I really enjoy. And I just wanted to kind of, I, I'm a sucker for if you hadn't guessed and i hadn't said before for physical puppetry and creatures and mm-hmm. all of that i kind of loved all that stuff inside the ship which is maybe mm-hmm. why i was craving it at the beginning of the film when i was revisiting it and i got that nostalgia excitement but when we get in there i was having a great time to be honest meeting all the uh meeting all the creatures yeah. meeting the i keep forgetting <laughs> the bloody name of the little bat one um the pukmaran yeah. uh how about that one that, that looks face, like a, right? a, big, a fat fly and it eats his hat? Yeah, like the one. hungry one. The hungry one, yeah. Or uh, a giant eyeball that goes, ay, 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 ay. And there's one that's like a pterodactyl. Scrooged. Uh, what's her name in Scrooge? He's ah, just squealing around. <laughs> oh, the, the one that he fights. Yeah. Oh, um, the, 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 the ghost of Christmas present. Yeah. Uh, it's punched him in the face <laughs> there's one in a smoky test tube that looks like a jurassic park three yeah. um pteranodon that i quite like and then there's like the slimy one that's got a cold that's, that used to fascinate me all those years ago yeah. when i watched when i was a kid that one was the one i really was like that looks amazing it looks real and it's i yeah. truly believe that was a creature you know um and the, but the puppetry is great. I like the way Max ro- rolls around the mm. ship. Yeah. And what an insane set to shoot on and not, you know, have to hide yourself from reflections all the yeah. time. Oh, yeah. The yeah. the feel of that ship just feels like I just, I can, I can totally understand that uh, it's a really important thing, I would think, in terms of the production design to want to, like, just reach in and just sort of touch it. It just mm-hmm. looks so tactile. It what was your quote, Devlin? I want to get get in there and fuck around. Fuck around with <laughs> I, want to, I want to get on the ship and just sort of like fuck around it. It's like jab stuff. <laughs> sort of, it's which but is amazing. That chair come out yeah. and like sweep you, and it's also intricate and Tetrisy and in the chair, and he hits the button, and this huge metal slab slams <laughs> into his his side. It's like yeah. it's not very comfortable, is it? But he just yeah. he just say that's better. Yeah. He does say that's fair. And I do like that Max is <laughs> a little bit scary when we first meet him. The way he tells him to sit down, yeah. it's, it's quite an intimidating thing. But also but, the other language as well, to start with. You true. Know, putting in a completely foreign um, environment. Do a really good job of disguising that that's Paul Rubens at the start by pitching him down 
Uh, yeah. It's obviously on a, a different octave and um, it's almost got a, what are you doing, Dave? Kind of. Yeah. Total yeah. Howl, yeah. Isn't it, for a while. And yeah. then as soon as you get the ha ha stuff that, you yeah. know, it's Pee Wee Herman, but I always thought <laughs> yeah. he was sampling, you know, when he downloads his memories or whatever he does and he he's playing things from the radio he's playing the beach boys mm. in i always wondered if he was playing peewee herman in as a kind of a pop cultural oh, thing. I, wow. I didn't realize yeah. that he was actually that that guy and it yeah. turns out it is rubens but can i put the boot in for the first time here because we have, we have been waxing the i mean uh, it is a very waxed spaceship. ship it's very shiny yeah. so feel free to um it, it, it never bothered me as a kid but now the broad um kind of uh, anarchic humor of that these these kind of segments not immediately when he's slightly sinister but as, as he downloads his memories and he becomes his friend that's the stuff uh that i found the least enjoyable on you know i'm a 40 year old watching a kids film so of course i'm gonna gonna struggle with it a bit but that was the the only moment uh and that only very thankfully small segment of the film that sort of got under my skin in a negative way i was going to ask i had it here to say is it funny enough with those interactions and is that a th is that the place where the film has aged probably the worst with its humor there's even a point you know when they get to the gas station when he pops his head out and he calls someone uh Limpo. what he calls a oink oink too many twinkies ha ha yeah, and yeah. it's just you kind of like it's it. <laughs> 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 but uh, i remember uh, i watched i missed the joke the first time around for some reason mm. but this morning i watched like should i laugh and i don't want to laugh but would i have laughed yeah. when i was a kid i don't mm. know um, i don't remember laughing at that you know i don't remember no, finding i don't it either funny. Uh, I, think I think the spectacle you... outweighs the vocal humor yeah, exactly. with all of this yeah some of that was yeah was was very broad and i i agree that probably when i was a kid what i remember most is flying around with max and the kind of the tremendous adventure of flying around with max and it's like he's such a short such a short bit um so yeah the uh the the dial of wackiness probably goes a little too far in the other direction you've got to rain rubens in or he'll really go for it yeah, that's that, that's that uh, groundlings improv education. Yeah, that's where that is. Did he walk so Robin Williams could run? <laughs> yeah, it it's uh, it doesn't mar it. Like it it's it's fine, but um, yeah, it's there's still some of the stuff when they're bickering is good. Yes, I like yeah. the bickering, and mm. I like the, the the chaos of that and their journey. Mm. And there's a lovely bit when it cuts to NASA and they're relieved when they're safe and they're tracking the flight. Yeah. And, the, I, and that, again, that goes back to what I thought about, like Clive's the, the director having watched the moon landing or something, and you know you see all the uh, information room and getting a flight safely back to Earth and that space mm. race era that he would have grown up in. Mm. I see all of that in there, and I think that's really well done. The bit where he he says, "Are oh, you?" you go ahead and control it then and he just shuts down and he's then he's left on his own with this you know alien craft and he has to sort of figure it out i mean there's that the stubbornness and there's still a bit of a uh, a nice dynamic between them they're not best buddies like, immediately and all the way through but when he does at the end call him navigator and um you know, there's there's the goodbye scene that we see in all of these uh, tearjerkers, and I, I think they they yeah, nail it. <laughs> exactly. He's earned his um, he's earned his title, hasn't he? By the end, Max. Will I ever see you again? 
must start the journey. Hold on tight, Davy. I'm gonna miss you. I'm gonna miss you too. Thanks. No big deal, really. Come on, let's get out of here. Compliance. Navigator. You know what? I get goosebumps thinking of that bit actually, and mm. I didn't realize that I liked that bit so much till we just talked about it. Yeah, and it's yeah. it's made me smile. It's it is cool, and it's I go to a word that I like to use on certain films. I find this film very cool. It's cool. That he's a navigator, and imagine if I was a kid and I was that navigator, and I wanted to be that when I was young, watching it all those years ago, and it feels that way and um carolyn is this cool girl with purple hair that attracted and there's an <laughs> age old that there is there's there's cool elements in the film and a really interesting element to um young versus old and mm. time out of place when even him as an 12 year old boy doesn't like modern music and he wants to listen to class the uh, older music and it's mm. like what what is this and times are changing but to be the navigator and to be with those animal uh, aliens of the puppetry and to fly this ship. Like, I think the ship's design is awesome, exterior mm. and interior. Like it changes sh- shape and it looks good, right? From the visual yeah. effects point of view. It, I, I know I've, I've kind of glanced over the, the puppeteers, puppeteers and I want to talk about them more because they did Team America and oh, really? they... They did Short Circuit, The Abyss, Forgetting Sarah Marshall, Men in Black. They have this most incredible CV. But that all helps the film transport you without all of those elements working. Well, we mentioned some of the effects earlier. The There was this guy called Doug Henning who did old stage magic. Uh, so the bit we talked about with the steps that are kind of disembodied and floating, uh, that's how that's all done. That's practically in camera with hidden hidden rods and perhaps some digital removal, but I, that wasn't going on too much at the time, I don't think. Uh, Kleiser said that it was about $30,000 for an effects shot at the time. That's how much they cost. So they were really careful about what they used. But there's an interesting story behind where the, the look of the ship came from because there was a picture in a special effects book of this metal dog in a, a park city scene. Uh, and Kleiser saw it. And uh, the book said that this is the future of of special effects. And it's this thing called reflection mapping. And it had never been done in a moving image. Uh, And it was actually done for the first time in Flight of the Navigator. And it was later done, as everyone will know, know, by Fantasy 2 and all those guys for Terminator 2. And Kleiser's brother was one of the effects guys uh, on Navigator. And James Cameron actually told him at one point, he said, that's where I got it from. That's... That was the cue that I needed. Yeah. I'm going to make the Terminator wow. look, look like that. But what, what year was the Abyss? The Abyss yeah, what, was 89, maybe? Yeah, because the oh. Abyss was the same thing, isn't it? It's a reflective has surface to be. Yeah. interacting with the environment around it. Um, and we always wondered if it was easier to do something like that or more difficult to do something like that. Is it easier to replicate a T-Rex or is it easier to make a shiny blade on the end of someone's arm, for example? And you have to wonder, but um, this is a these are the early stages of of what it eventually we, we would eventually see in Terminator. The, the VFX guy, Peter Donan, the supervisor, he <laughs> I found this interesting. He did Spaceballs as well. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> well, <laughs> it's, the flying RV. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing to think of. We said very early on, this film's half forgotten in memory, you know, not yeah. out there so prominent, but it, it feels like a hugely influential film. You've just said that about Cameron. I see bits of this in the Transformers films with Bumble, the, the individual Bumblebee film of a, an alien learning language from a child and growing into modern right, society yeah. there and the time travel. Um, uh, rem- <laughs> yeah. Some of the time travel visuals reminded me of Free Jack and Tron and Lawnmower <laughs> yeah. Man and yeah, bits yeah. like that, which I thought were really interesting. But it, it's, I, I'm surprised to find myself thinking, wow, this is kind of an under the radar huge film at the time that mm. is, has such an influence I can see everywhere. There's some really impressive looking stuff that anything to do with the, the, the actual flight. I guess this is goes back to like what was it uh the Solkinds, Alexander Solkind used to say about um Superman only works if you can believe it. And that's how they sold the film. It's like it's the You'll first believe time a man can fly. fly, yeah. Yeah. If that doesn't work, the film doesn't work. And I guess that it would be the same thing. This is flight of the navigator. So if that ship doesn't not only look like good enough that it's gonna be able to uh uh sell the illusion, but it also has to be cool. It has to be something you've not seen done before and so the way it moved and then stopped really suddenly, it's, uh, uh, I can't think of a precedent for that kind of, uh, 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 something looking like moving in such an alien way. Yeah. The, the design came from, uh, a, con- a concept designer called Edward Eath. I think I pronounced it that way. Um, his original sketches are in the documentary and you can see all of the things. And apparently, uh, Randall Kleiser took the designs to Spielberg. And they had a chat about it, even though Spielberg has no real involvement in in this film. And they came up with this idea that it should be like a blob of mercury that Mm. changes and uh, can evolve. And uh, when it goes into the the faster mode, the hyperspeed or whatever you call it, and it actually gets more angular and pointed at the front. And it could be many of the designs that he put on paper all in one. He can sort of have his cake and eat it too so i think that's where a lot of that came from this mercury blob that is cool isn't yeah it's yeah. good and i've got to believe a man can fly or a navigator yeah. can navigate and that do you, you think that the landscapes were norway you know they're flying through what, i think a lot of them were POV on a helicopter must be i'm not sure how they did it i mean on uh it could be a frames per second thing like if you imagine how mm. they did the start of the shining and all that with a helicopter maybe they did something similar and sped it up but uh, there's like... a, i think there's a real mixture because uh when they hover over the highway right yeah. before they get back to fort lauderdale and it's got the sign i am a hundred percent certain that's a miniature with little toy cars going on it right oh really oh i, I missed that so wow that's yeah. cool some of the more impressive shots for me as well, though, again, going back to physical in-camera stuff, like one of the VFX is very, must have wowed people at the time. You know, wouldn't have seen anything like it. Uh, but, you know, when they first, we spoke about very briefly at the beginning, when they first meet, meet come across the ship and he puts a hand on it and it floats, mm, yes. there's this long lens shot that felt kind of Close Encounters-esque and Spielberg-esque that, Coming over the hill on a transported vehicle, yeah, and the vehicle and the the ship is the heat, floating. The heat shimmer, the heat shimmer, and it, yeah, I think that might be my favorite shot of the whole it's film. Brilliant. Strangely, yeah, and then we get inside the NASA facility, and it's got 
uh, ropes and stuff around it. And it's a very clever effect to make it float up there. But it looks awesome. Yeah. Mm. And you, you believe the, how light it is and you, the way it's nudged just with a, with a gentle push. So yeah. you get a feel for it. That's that whole Tarkovsky thing we went on about, about the idea of feeling and smelling a film. And there's like sometimes when things like that happen, you can sort of, you understand how something is light or heavy, if that makes any sense. Yeah, and it's just, yeah. a, it's a, uh, a simple thing, but they do it really well. Does the plot have enough through line for the film to take us uh, through, you know, distracting us from the family element and the, the get, getting a child back to where he belongs? Hmm. Um, it, I, I read a bit of um, criticism and taking some car wax, car wax off for the plot being quite thin, that there's a, you know, an alien who needs to get home and he's helping hmm. and it's just a vehicle that it's in his brain and he's got the map to go there like a MacGuffin. What, what do you think of the science and the NASA element to the plot? It is very kind of almost perfunctory, the idea of like the reason why they have to be reconnected is because they've downloaded the maps into his brain. It's, it's you know, um, they don't dwell on it so much. And I think that that's probably a smart idea not to. Um, I think uh, for a tight 90, mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I appreciate how uncomplicated they they make it i think that were there a secondary mission that he has to somehow do it does mean that like the actual flying around is largely just flying around it's it is a little aimless but i think the the spaceship is a vehicle like metaphorically as well as physically it's a vehicle for us to be able to enjoy these sequences they are kind of the point in and of themselves i think Mm. um uh, just as the, the the film is kind of a, a vehicle to sort of use this uh this fun space adventure to actually tell a story about like a, a nightmarish situation of being <laughs> ripped out of your own time like yeah. that's for me that's where the meat of the film is so the second the back half is like your your dessert because you've been through the <laughs> ringer in the first half yeah. is there a temptation for him to take one of those pets back to their home world or something and then you know go on a bit more of a space adventure i mean it, it would completely uh detract from what we're doing now that's the problem you you're absolutely yeah. right about the tight 90 minutes and when i saw the running time of 90 particularly these days i was over the moon uh, I, I watched <laughs> this and children of the corn back to back which is one of the reasons i was slagging off children of the corn's music because the music here is so good i think but um yeah i, had I think... wondered if uh the second half was when we got the ship purely like budget limitations or anything yeah. that they, they don't want to be too much and flog it to death, like, uh, you know, stretching a short story or something. Mm. It doesn't make um, sense for him to go to another home world or anything like that. It probably doesn't. Yeah. It's like, it's enough for him to see these creatures and take one of them with him. I think they kind and of, the, and the mystery it. is really cool, right? Yeah. And as a kid that none of this stuff even occurred to me, obviously it's just, but it, it, it's a film that never really outstayed. It's welcome with me. I, I quite like it the way it is. It's it is interesting that when he gets in the ship, he doesn't have to go do another thing. There'd be another yeah, trial usually, yeah. wouldn't there? There'd be something he has yeah. to accomplish. But he's in the ship. The ship takes off because he tells him to get out of here because you know they have that kind of mm-hmm. almost adversarial relationship. Of the ship is so so much smarter than him, but seems to need his instruction. Uh, but like once they download the brain, then it's like we just need to get you home. 
but mm. because he's gone all Paul Rubens loopy, he takes him to Japan instead. And <laughs> it's it's only when you actually sort of think about what's happening story wise that that even occurs. Because I mm. think when it is happening, it's just you're just like just having a daft laugh in it. Yeah, we're <laughs> along for the ride. Would you let your eight year old walk through a woodland though to get home? Oh, totally. We were always doing that when we were kids. <laughs> Uh, that you know, mm. I do that. That was definitely I. I thought quite a realistic bit about it, like the uh, you know the um, kids being allowed to just go until it got dark. When I it don't got know, dark, twelve, it but maybe like, not eight. <laughs> the twelve-year-old, maybe. But... I'm, I'm I'm not gonna uh, I'm not gonna sell my things are different in Dolo. It's not gonna yeah. sell my parents out on the podcast. But... <laughs> <laughs> do you have any favorite scenes in the film? I have lots. Do you want to go first, Devlin? I actually think I really liked the um the the when he realizes that it's not his home anymore. Mm. It was nightmarish, and and I thought that it was like it was all done subtly, but yeah. noticeably. And I think that you could have uh, you could have gone way too wacky with that. I also think it was possible to just miss it. And I thought that um the calibration on that scene really set us up for such an eerie tone throughout. So I would say that I also, I, I my favorite shot is the, the same as yours. The, the alien ship. Ah, it it kind of blew me away. To be honest. Great little synth yeah. note on there. It's, it's worthy of something like ET because I, I always put this a rung below. I always put this in Mac and me territory, you know, but, <laughs> uh, I think it is better than that, you know? Um, yeah. Uh, Patrick, do you want to go first? Yeah, yeah mine's simple. The, the meeting the creatures. I just, okay, I think it's more inspiring. And yeah, yeah, it's kind of, I'm still transported to when I was a kid watching back at, at the little creatures and like, wow, they're amazing. And the eye laughing, which is kind of scary, but interesting and funny at the same time. You don't understand it. And the Pukmaran was just, mm. I mm. have such clear, vivid memories of that little creature from a kid. Mm. And yeah. even now watching it, I can now see the strings being pulled and I don't care. I just fucking love it. You can see the strings. He's smashing that thing around. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At one point, he's, he's, he's got it clutched in one hand and he mm. uses that hand to leverage himself to get up. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> break its spine. Don't do it, and, and it's mad with it. And even you know, incite a little bit of um, empathy for him because saying you know his planet was destroyed, but he doesn't know, so he wants to go home. Yeah. You know, it's I don't know. I always, always remembered that image of that little creature when I was mm. a kid, almost more than anything. The the um, howls like uh, it reminds me of something else. The eye, the eye of Max reminds me of something I can't quite get what i'm thinking of right yeah. now but like i i love the way he moves around the room and all of that so kind of when i'm at the ship but it, it's funny that's probably me saying my favorite scenes when i was a kid and watching it years yeah. ago and now as an adult one of my favorite scenes i devs kind of hit the nail there like i love that mystery at the beginning as well mm -hmm. but um matt you've got a few yeah few favorite what was, scenes. i just wanted to see which ones you'd pick because i've got so many we've discussed some already previously like the opening scene with the frisbee dogs i think that's a great tone setter because it does have an ominous kind of edge to it that i think the mm -hmm. film um benefits from the mystique of seeing the craft for the first time we talked about the gores mm. of uh 
all that and the setup and as you say that shot coming over the hill which is worthy of Spielberg. Ah, beauty um i think you know the, the spacecraft leaving the hangar and everyone watching it with sort of trepidation before it shoots straight up that's a, an important part and i've got the rogues gallery my favorite one is the one that looks like a boglin because i had a boglin back in the day oh, oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they smelled so weird after yes uh yeah, it smelled the same as my Evil Dead uh, rubber Book of the Dead edition. Oh my god, yeah, it smelled yeah. the same. Yeah. Uh, but my favorite number one moment is the I Get Around Beach Boys scene. Okay. That was my favorite oh, one. Oh yeah, well. and pure uh, adventure, right? Yeah, yeah. and a weird tidbit: at my nana's house had a banister on the stairs that looked just like the um, circular um, thing okay. <laughs> that he uses to steer the ship. So whenever I was at my grandparents' house, I used to mess around on the banister and pretend I was flying a spaceship. But um, yeah, I, I was always like thoroughly entertained by that, that scene. And, I, and I, I still quite like the Beach Boys. I know it's hit and miss with them, but I, I still quite like them. That's great. Well, um, let's see how my how well you remember Flight of the Navigator because it's time for a pop quiz, hot shot. Reminder of the scores, Matt and Devin, run of the scores here because you two are tied on six. So this right. is for one of you to take the lead here. Galley, sadly not with us. We'll see him in a few years' time. Uh, Aiden and Emma got one on their business, uh, spots as well, which is great for them. Watch your buzzer, Devin. Well, excuse me! <laughs> uh, Matt, what's your... What's your buzzer, please? By now they're so hungry, they can eat a zigzag. <laughs> it's like kind of hippo with feathers, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> good. I like these buzzers. Very good. All right. One-on-one, chaps. Good luck. Fingers on your buzzers. Question one. Question one is, what's the dog's name? Well, excuse me. Devin was first there. He came in with the buzzer first. Devin, what's your answer? Uh, I jumped in and I think I might have uh, bollocked it. Is it Buster? Uh, sorry, mate. That's incorrect. By now they're so hungry they can eat a zigzag. Matt? Bruiser. Bruiser is correct. Well done. Matt knew he was confident with that one. Uh, that's the point there. Question two. I've been to stay in the game. Question two. Who does David have a crush on? Well, excuse me! <laughs> Devlin. Uh, Jennifer. Jennifer is correct! Well done! Well I was, uh, it was even there, I was thinking, shit, I can't remember her she surname. Has a surname. She has a surname. Because with a B, and I've forgotten it, um, but Jennifer is correct. Jennifer Parker is Back to the Future, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And this is Jennifer uh, Parker, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> um, <Next up. laughs> <laughs> going question three the squads are tied it's tense we are plummeting at the speed of light down to earth who's going to answer the first question three what song is playing in the car when they return back from the frisbee tournament by now they're so hungry they can eat a zigzag <laughs> Matt it's uh, is it you're the one that I want from Greece it is the one I want from Greece, a little Easter egg from the director there. Well played, Matt. Uh, Matt wins two to one, which puts him on a total of seven. Whoa. Boom. The Recovered from Midnight Run. I one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, Aiden took that from Gully and Dev anyway, so you were <laughs> yeah. okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, that's, uh, those buzzers were good. I do enjoy the choice of buzzers, but 
right now. I'm a bit stuck. NASA are chasing me. I can see them out the window there. I need to get 20 miles away. I'm going to go there. Speed of sound. I've landed in Critics Corner. Very good. Uh, Karen <laughs> James at the New York Times back in 86 said, uh, it sounds like an easy reversal of E.T. The, the film has a the reassuring tone of a happily ever after tale uh, recounted by a master storyteller. Base age special effects take second place to family emotions. It's a high spirited lark, which Randall Kleiser directs with a sure but light hand. So that was a, a review from the day. Um, I've got one from William Thomas at Empire that was posted in the year 2000. Uh, he gave it three out of five stars. He said it's pleasant and well-made enough to keep the family happy, but it certainly won't challenge them. Uh, it's never oh. brave enough to feel far-reaching or ironically far-fetched when time travel and space flight are so popular at the movies. Navigator still fulfills its mission, distracting the family for bang on an hour and a half. We've got Kevin Thomas at the LA Times with an, a 1986 review. Uh, Navigator is uh, buoyant as well as handsome, never weighed down by ponderous hardware or marred by cut-rate effects. But for all its first-rate cinematography and its imaginative design, including the wizards at Omnibus Computer Graphics, the film has, as its biggest plus, its entirely believable normal American family. Uh, while the film may not have the visual polish of a Spielberg production, it does have a depth of performance that Spielberg often lacked. Director Kleiser has become a sensitive handler of actors in the years since he made his debut. The aged parents have an emotional authenticity that is rare in any genre, much less in an adventure movie made for little ones. Uh, there was a little bit in the letterbox basement too, Matt Lynch from the basement belonging to his mother said, this doesn't make a lick of sense. The kid is charitably speaking a total charisma free brat and the horrible psychic trauma this whole thing would have inflicted on this entire family is tantalizingly shrugged off. There's even a part where he gets to go live at NASA and they give him his own room and a waitress with a robot, a TV and a bunch of toys. And he seems not that into it. <laughs> uh, in the context of the film, do you not think, you know, he's a bit more, he's, he's got it's a bigger, bit bigger fish to fry. superfluous, he? isn't it? It's, yeah, um, like, it is. yeah. Anyway. His main complaint was that he didn't appreciate his blister packed Transformers toys. In it. <laughs> <laughs> it is a little Which bit frustrating. Right, yeah. could be so on those at the toys and McDonald's. The, yeah. the, the uh, yeah, the, the, he, like hush money, isn't it? Shut he up. Know what they are. It's like showing me a Pokemon when I'm like 12 or something. I wouldn't care, would I? You know. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That was interesting about the Spielberg. Like, so, what reviewer was that? That's not the depth of Spielberg? Sorry, I think that was, I forgot to say, that was Dave Kerr at the Chicago Tribune. Rog must have had a, mm. a day off. Um, but yeah, <laughs> th there was um, a lot of praise for for uh, Kleiser and uh, you know even parallels been drawn to Spielberg in many of the reviews so I was I mean, quite we, surprised. We have mentioned it in this review though yeah. Matt. We, mm. we have said Spielbergian stuff. And, and also I've said that I originally thought it was on a, a, a lower tier to E.T. and I do think it is but it's not as low as Mac and me is it? I mean it's it's somewhere, <laughs> somewhere on the spectrum there. But, yeah. <laughs> no I mean I, I think it would be very very unfair to say because it could so easily have just been like you say a cash in 
it was mm. it seems that even the reviewers were saying that you know the the cinema screens are awash with family friendly sci-fi adventures at this point which makes sense given the kind of the timeline of production schedules being what they were back then you know usually it would take 18 months to two years before you started to see like the long tail of you know what's ripping off what so you could conceivably still call this post et even mm, though it's yeah. five full years later yeah but i think that um they were definitely smart enough to avoid doing the same thing i think we're about there and it's time well, i mean we've been giving them but the sandwiches aren't completely out the packet yet for our uh final thoughts please devlin uh Final thoughts are that uh, this was a really enjoyable revisit um, and it really f- kind of flipped my, what I thought were very clear, clear-eyed memories of the film. It really flipped it. What I'd remembered was puppets. I'd remembered the little guy hanging off the wire. I'd remembered the metal chair. Uh, I'd remembered flying around and, and Paul Rubens' eye, and and, but you know even so so much that um the the wacky persona that uh, Max takes on had kind of I'd forgotten a lot of that as well. I'd remembered this as being a lot more somber maybe than the the second half being more somber, but I had, I'd completely blanked on the first half. Uh, what was extremely vivid was her um, Sarah Jessica Parker walking in. And saying Twisted Sister. I don't know why that stuck with me so much, but <laughs> the line about Twisted Sister would be the first thing if you'd have asked me about this film. Like the very first words that would come to my mind are Twisted Sister. I have no idea why. Um, but um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. It's uh, uh, it's It's really fleet. It really moves along. That first section is quality filmmaking like really well made genuinely well made kind of filmmaking and and you know the the adventure in the second half is just like very enjoyable um yeah i it's an odd one because it is a film which a, a lot of kids films or films that we watched as kids would be the sort of thing that you would maybe think well, this is just a general audience film you know like a uh, like an Indiana Jones or a Star Wars. It's like these are general audience films for everyone. This genuinely is a film aimed at a younger audience. So you you wouldn't, it's not quite the same as watching, you know, like a, a like I think you're mentioning that, like an E.T. elevates up to being like, it's it's just an extraordinary piece of storytelling and filmmaking. It appeals to kids, but uh, this one, I think it understands its audience a little better and its audience is a little younger. So it's not, quite going to be one of those rewatches where i feel like you're going to unearth a kind of um a stone cold classic but i think that's probably that's also being disingenuous again this is a 39 year old trying to talk about a film that i watched when i was seven so um i think it's absolutely worth a rewatch you know and for more than just nostalgic purposes i think it's uh there's, there's a lot to recommend beyond that yeah Take really that as a recommendation, it. yeah. Yeah I'll, yeah, I'll recommend it. But um, how about you, uh, Matt? How How is your rewatch? Post Jaws 2, I've been a bit worried about returning to some of these films. Uh, but I'm happy to say that this one held its footing with me. Um, 
and you mentioned nostalgia there um and it does play a part i can't separate it um so i don't know how reliable i am critiquing this one but it was a really fun watch still it was only really that bump in the road of the the comic relief the broad comic relief anyone who read my star wars blog knows that i fucking hate c3po and and this (laughs) reminded me of him a bit um i just more than jar jar binks uh no i hate jar jar more but uh this one was grating (laughs) at at times you know but i just tried to turn a blind eye and you know the the young me who absolutely adored it was the target audience so it's less about how i feel and and in terms of the recommendations as well i i would absolutely recommend it but perhaps not to a 40 year old who hasn't seen it before (laughs) i'd recommend it to someone roughly david's age or um or his brother's age you know an eight eight to twelve might be quite nice for this one um i think one of the reasons kids like it patrick mentioned this earlier i think it's the key uh is that david is the navigator he's in charge he's calling the shots and there's a responsibility involved and an independence and in a world where kids are often sidelined and um, certainly within films and in real life too that um, he's a kid that has autonomy and and a certain amount of intelligence and uh, he's given a responsibility that he ultimately has to rise to and fulfill and i think that's why the goodbye scene uh, works as well it works in t2 for the same reasons it works in et for the same reasons um i like i said i've written ominous far too many times but that was one of the most interesting things about the rewatch because it has these horror tropes and these sort of little weird scary moments that are peppered in and i think that really helps it particularly as as we've aged and uh, that still keeps things interesting um maybe it's me but i still feel young i don't feel that different to when i was in my 20s but you sort of see your parents aging and everything aging around you and i sometimes feel like i'm a bit older than than my years but i, I don't really feel different i i, I think uh I, i've just had um my parents visit recently and they visited korea and um Everything back home in my room is pretty much the same. I'm not saying it's like I've been kidnapped on a, on a spaceship or anything, but it's like all my stuff is exactly the same back home. And it's like when I do see my parents or my sister after a long period of time, it's been like four years since they'd visited. So this was like a weird time to watch this film because I sort of filtered it through through that. You can mm. sort of see how people have aged even in four years. Um, it's not the same as seeing them on a FaceTime or something. It's like, actually you know hugging your mum again it's like very it's an unusual feeling and it reminded me of some of the the scarier aspects of the film too so it's sort of tied into some more more serious um themes i suppose with me it's, it's strange like sometimes you watch a film and it clicks um and it did this time it, it's an important film from my childhood and i i think it holds up quite nicely patrick mm, well said um i enjoyed that and I, yeah, I, well, I'm in agreement with both of you. I recommend this film and I agree with a lot of what you just said. The, the thing I took away from it most <clears throat> after, you know, all those years ago, watching it as a child and being very, it was a very fond film for me at home. I remember the video, I remember playing it a lot and the creatures and all of that and how cool it was to fly a ship. But the family element 
uh, Vin Diesel would love this film. The, fa- <laughs> the family element um, just hadn't. Yeah, I don't know. It's funny, isn't it? When you're a kid, it doesn't come across maybe, and now it's more important to me. And thanks for highlighting that, Matt, because that has taken on another level for the film. I, I really appreciated um, watching. Um, I found it very enjoyable. I, I found structurally, you know, having remembered it just being on the ship and all that excitement and adventure, whereas actually the structurally it's very good. That's Jaws thing of 45 minutes and then we go on the adventure and 45 minutes adventure to conclusion. Type 90 is well written and done really well. Yes, the humor's aged. Uh, as we said, I, I, not really familiar with the PV films, but I, I can comment on them on whether they've aged like that as well. But there was a few like, okay, you know, I'm enjoying their relationship more than what they're saying. <laughs> Give me some more creatures and some more flight. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> the lead. Yeah. I, I didn't mind him at all. I did. I said earlier, I read some things that didn't like Kramer, but I think he did a pretty decent job as a child actor um, to hold his own, can you imagine acting like even adults struggle to act in a room against a blue screen or a tennis ball? Mm. And this is a kid who's doing it with open eyes and an, uh, like a, an open face that's inviting the audience in. And it's quite cinematic. It's it's shot really well. Um, one of the Critics Corner um, reviews said that, and we hadn't really talked about the cinematography, but it, it looks great. And it goes back to the thing we said on previous podcast that is if you're going to shoot vfx you've got to do it well and you've got to plan it and it's got to be integrated for a reason and a purpose and and, and look good and this does and it it does feel groundbreaking having revisited it now um all the elements the the digital um effects the the uh what's it called the um digital morphing you know mm. and i'm not surprised cameron took it on um the reflection stuff's great and then the real reflections. There's a nice thing in the film that is SFX versus VFX, and they're, they're both integrated really, really, really well. Um, you know, Max talks about an inferior brain with superior information, and this kind of the film feels like superior information in it to a lot of inferior films at the time. Um, I really enjoyed it. I was smiling along, and I did get that warmth of um, like, yeah, this film's great. At the end, the flying and the goodbye, I didn't realise that I was emotionally connected to it as much as I, I was. So a very, very pleasant rewatch that I do recommend. And thanks, Matt, for having it in your list. It caught my eye immediately. I haven't seen it for years, and I'm so glad we watched it now. Um, yeah, it's really good. And, and if others want to watch it after all these years or for a first time, where may they access it? If you're in Korea, you're probably not. But if you are, you can't. Uh, and, uh, if you're in the UK, I've got uh, streaming on Prime Video. You can rent it on Rakuten TV, Apple TV, and Amazon. And our American friends can stream it on Disney+. Plus. I don't know why you can't over there, but... I, I wondered that as soon as the Walt Disney thing came up, I thought, wow, why? But uh, this is a film I'd actually love to watch in a 4K restoration, yeah. to be honest. And uh, you can buy it, if you're in the USA, on Apple Voodoo. Amazon and Direct TV. <laughs> Java. Java. Uh, there is seemingly a Blu-ray release. I don't know. I think it's from Second uh, Sight Films, who are usually very good. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a, uh, yeah, Second Sight have got a 4K scan right. restoration, which also includes uh, a bunch of interviews and some uh, featurettes. 
Does it have life after the navigator as part of that package or not? Is that separate? It doesn't know. That okay. is actually streaming on um, Prime Video as well, though. I noticed cool. this morning. Uh, and Dev, do you or will you have any compliant T-shirts online amongst <laughs> your other excellently designed merchandise? And if so, where can we find and purchase it? Please? That lead-in was far too polite, Patrick. You're supposed to insult the... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> <You're supposed> to... <laughs> just, just can't you insult him? <laughs> yeah, after like... You've got, you got a bunch of shit, haven't you, Dev? You got a bunch of Let's shit. Let's some shit, <laughs> is the quote. Slop on, I'm, slop I'm, on the, um, I'm the miserable yeah. general public. If Gally was there, maybe I had a bit more damning on Gally, but no, no, Dev. You, um, yeah. like, make me a t-shirt, you shit. Get some old, like, get your t-shirts and then mix it up with a load of, like, I don't know, oats and, like, wet cabbage. <laughs> <laughs> just splash it on her face. Five zero, and that's mental. Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> if you do want to scarf down some of this chum, um, you can head to uh, rewindmoviecast.com. That is where we keep everything show related. That's got episode links. That's got all of our old essays and specials. Uh, you head across to the tab across uh, top of the website shop that'll take you to devlindoesdrawing.tmail.com all of this is linked downstairs in the little bit of writing underneath wherever you're listening to this podcast uh there's uh the usual array of uh, rewind movie podcast merchandise alongside t-shirts bags stickers etc inspired by some of the films that we love and a couple that we're not keen on <laughs> excellent stuff good stuff all that shit is online and Thank you very much, gentlemen. Thank you, listeners. Uh, if you like what we do, please share, like, subscribe, pen as a wee review, and spread the gospel. Uh, we really appreciate it, and hopefully you can help us bring more people to our navigations. Um, so we shall say our goodbyes, shall we, team? Shall indeed. Thank you very much for uh, your expert hosting this week, Patrick. Yeah, thank you, Patrick. You've filled Gally's shoes. Hi! How are you doing? That's a nice bike. It's Patrick in London. Thanks for listening. Uh, I'll see you scuzz buckets later. It's Devlin in London. Do you want new Coke, classic Coke, cherry Coke, diet Coke, or caffeine-free Coke? <laughs> I'm off to the Twisted Sister concert. It's Matt in South Korea. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Thank you. Thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll see you next time on the Rewind Movie Podcast. Let's go.
must come down.